Please be seated. In last week's gospel story and this week's, there are these almost outlandishly spirit-filled conversations, first between Jesus and Nicodemus, and now between Jesus and the woman with no name, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, every woman. I'm not sure why, but I can't seem to get away from wondering how our woman felt in this encounter. And I'm not sure I realized before now how that attaches to a desire to know the extent to which Jesus is focused on her feelings and the part they play. It helps to be intentionally conscious of the way society functioned in those days because it appears Jesus is doing just that. And true to form, from that place of deep understanding, a place of complete knowledge of how fear-based, limiting religious and social systems work, he manages to advance both human flourishing and spiritual growth in her and through her exponentially before our very eyes. In the longest recorded one-on-one -on -one conversation he has in all the Gospels, how does her emotional state feature? I feel very strongly that the woman being nameless is an invitation, if not a command, for us to make her our woman, especially this month. For there is much about our woman's experience we will wish to take ownership of. It's about noon just outside of Sikhar. That she is alone indicates that noon wasn't the most popular time for a woman to fill her water jar. What do you suppose she's thinking as she approaches? What could she be feeling? Does she get that queasy feeling in the pit of her stomach as she gets close enough to realize that the man sitting under the tree near the well is a Jew? Does she ready herself for confrontation? What feelings go with that? Do they include a choked-back feeling of incredible exhaustion at the thought of having to defend herself yet again? What is she navigating as she screws up her courage and presses on, knowing that the last time something like this happened, it was even worse to come home with no water? Jesus didn't have to be clairvoyant to know she was carrying a lot besides a big jar. Maybe he was smiling as she approached. She'd still have every right to be wary. Lots of men have smiled at her. But what changes in her when he speaks? It doesn't say so explicitly in the text, but it's easy to see her handing him a ladle or something, whatever he needs to drink, daring at the same time to ask him about the power dynamic. We can't hear the tone of her voice, of course, which heightens the sense of wonder about what she's feeling. If Jesus is smiling, that may have an effect on how she feels, but what happens when he changes gears the way he does? Because he doesn't just change gears, he does a kind of a spiritual data dump. She tries to remain practical, but you don't have a bucket. And yet she shifts along with him. Hey, what do you mean living water? Where do you get it? What about her is shifting and how much? 
Is this what coming to the verge of spiritual experience is like? Does she see, can she feel what's happening, what is about to happen? Jesus definitely seems to be drawing her in. Why? These questions scarcely form when he takes another quantum leap. Those who drink of the water I will give will never be thirsty. It will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. It may not be possible for us to fully grasp the impact of these words. We have water available to quench our thirst so much more readily than our woman, than even Jesus, than anybody in that region in that age. We have potable water more readily available than far too many people inhabiting this planet with us today. It's incredibly difficult for us to fathom the preciousness of water itself, and by extension, the feelings of relief and pleasure and safety and joy all rolled into one that come of slaking a parched throat and what that means for both body and mind. In that moment and place, there is hardly a more basic measure of what it means to be satisfied. Can you feel how you are being invited into that experience? The text doesn't use a singular word to express this feeling of being satisfied. Even so, I checked the thesaurus and was excited to find synonyms like convinced, assured, persuaded, which align quite helpfully with what's happening here because it's existential experience Jesus is referring to. And it doesn't take a lot of imagination to find in his talk of living water and what it does something quite of the Spirit. So if he cracks that door open, her next words throw it wide. Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. There's layers of meaning here. She's hooked. She believes him. She wants him to give her what water brings. So much relief and pleasure and safety and joy. It's starting to look like she believes somehow that he can make it so that she's never at risk of becoming thirsty again. Not to mention having to come to the well alone and unprotected in the heat of the day. Never at risk of being without relief and pleasure, and safety, and joy. And this is what I feel touches the heart of the matter, what touches Jesus' heart. He's laid the foundation. He knows he's got her, because then it gets better. He knows something in her inner state has shifted enough for him to take another step, a potentially risky step, but one that may have the power to move her out of herself and in the best way possible. Go, call your husband and come back, he says. You can almost hear her blinking. It's another shift of gears, but one very much like the arresting language he uses elsewhere in the Gospels to draw out even more arresting love in those with whom he is engaged. He continues to disarm her with insights into her own life, which he does in a way that actually removes their spikiness. And this takes her breath away. So she calls him a prophet, and then melting 
quivering, she repeats her familiar pattern, daring to refer to worship, to refer again to power dynamics, the subject with which she has already unwittingly opened to the spiritual gate. How do her feelings continue to shift as he talks of worshiping, in spirit and in truth? She barely has time to wonder how she feels when she hears him quietly emphasize, God is spirit. Compelled for the moment to let go of her feelings, she's just trying to get this straight in her mind. There's almost a desperate quality as still clinging to her coping pattern, she makes a final reference to power, bringing Messiah into the conversation. I am he, the one who is speaking to you, he says. And this clearly pushes her over the edge in the very best way possible, and we can feel her spirit begin to take flight. Astonishment then rules the day as the disciples return and our woman exits. Whatever has changed in her, whatever feelings she has experienced in her encounter with Jesus have made for elevation, for spiritual transformation. Jesus has dubbed our woman truth teller. Who else has ever affirmed her in that way? And how does that make her feel? Well, apparently it makes her feel like she can even go back to possible oppressors without her jar, but breathless with enthusiasm. Not only go back to them, but flying, <laughs> born by a spirit that gets their attention, a spirit that advances the good news, the expansion of the community of the beloved. They are convinced enough by her transformation to take steps to have their own experiences of transformation all because something very significant shifted in our woman's emotional and spiritual state. She's been our woman. She's becoming theirs too. And for the same reason, there is much about her experience they wish to take ownership of. It's hard to be satisfied with the belief that what drove her is magical or even intellectual. So what has driven her? You might say I've taken some liberties with these imaginings about our woman's feelings. If that's true, I hope you can understand that it was for one reason only, the service of Jesus, of spirit and truth. Now. What about your feelings? Because this encounter seems to have been entirely in preparation for what comes next. Jesus, in our woman's absence, and in the same spirit as his references to her about water, says to his disciples, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Complete God's work? Well. Wouldn't that be to make a world filled with people who love each other? And in this very story, Jesus goes so far as to show us how to love our neighbor. Make them feel like he made our woman feel. At every turn in conversation, be filled with love. Be looking for love. Say things that will make the person with whom you are engaged feel safe enough to dig deeper into themselves and find more understanding of how God is moving, moving in them. 
at every turn in conversation, be motivated by the desire to make them feel they belong and that they're loved because you simply cannot hide the knowledge that that's how you feel God is moving in you. Because that's your food. And when you do, find the way to know this in yourself, and you will. Look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. <laughs>